Welcome to Generation AI, the podcast where we demystify artificial intelligence in the world of higher education. I'm your host, Artis Kadu, joined by the insightful co-host, Dr. JC Bonilla. Hello, JC. Hello, Artis. How are you doing today? I am great. I love what we have in play for our episode today. In our premiere episode, we're going to take a retrospective look at 2023, which has been a landmark year for AI. We're going to explore the biggest milestones and what that means for education, students, and for work and and productivity and what we do every single day. AI 2023, it's an intersection of disciplines, experiences, wins and failures. And it's an honor to be here with you, artists. And I'm so excited about this idea of what were the milestones of 2023, because if 1999 is seen as the dot bubble, 2023, it's the AI burst, but in terms of how it happened and just how we all benefited from it. Absolutely. And when we look at 2023 from a technologist perspective and someone who's building product and keeping up with AI, it has been relentless. Every single week has been more and more technology, more and more AI. However, we're not going to be able to cover everything today, but we will try to talk about the big milestones and how we see the progression happening from the beginning to today. When we started the year, January 23, ChatGPT was a thing. I remember at the end of 2022, I was sitting around around Christmas with friends, and we were playing around with ChatGPT. We were writing haikus and we were writing poems. So that was the extent of our introduction to it. January 2023, ChatGPT crosses 100 million users. To that date, it was the fastest growing consumer product ever. Faster than Netflix, faster than Instagram, faster than Facebook, faster than even TikTok. Artists, you know what it means, scalability, to reach 100 million users. I mean, you run a software company, you've done extensive technology deployment, so have I. Brother, you reach a million users on month one, your systems break. You know what it means to reach 100 million users within about 60 or 90 days? I mean, we speak from the point of view of the technology is so good, so everyone wants it. And it's super good, so everyone wants it. But I'm just floored that a system can scale that way and continues to be amazing, right? Because just as you were playing video games and whatnot, all of us encountered that. Live Nation, Obamacare websites, crash after crash. And yet, ChatGPT just continue to define what we can do with AI, but also in terms of scalability, what an incredible journey, you know? No doubt it is a technological feat of system engineering that they were able to scale it that way. I'm sure Microsoft had a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. However, one of the things that when we look at it from a technology adoption perspective, the reason why it scaled that fast, it was because it was easy to use. It didn't require learning new techniques. It didn't require learning new paradigms. You just chatted with it. It was a new introduction now to how you interact with technology. This gives you a key insight on why AI and generative AI specifically was so key to be used through a chat interface, which ended up being a product. 
Now, let's fast forward a little bit. A lot of things happened during those first couple of months. Everybody trying to understand the technology, a lot of webinars, folks were providing advice, and there were literally just a couple of weeks ahead of everybody else in terms of using the technology. March 14th, OpenAI announced another groundbreaking technology, which was GPT-4. Up to this point, GPT-3.5 was the model used. GPT-4 was introduced, and to this day, it is still the best model out there in terms of large language models. What this means is that it was able, during their demo, they were able to show how this model can view a picture of a website drawn in hand and actually build that full website. That's what blew my mind when I saw the reasoning capabilities or the multimodality and how it's able to do that. Some of those capabilities did not come to market until later. However, GPT-4 was introduced in March and it became the gold standard for AI producing amazing content and now being introduced in a lot of different products, including some of the products that we built at Element 451, which we introduced our first co-pilots and AI bots built on that same API. I think March represents a... A really interesting month into this year because, sure, GPT-4 redefines what OpenAI and ChatGPT is all about. And it starts basically seeding the ground of now you can co-develop with us, right? Me, the user, I start realizing the ability that this technology has that not only for games, because how many variations of give me a joke in Shakespearean English versus, I don't know, whatever other LLM application, but it really becomes a codification that is here to stay and it will be contextual to productivity in many other sectors. Artists, the same year in March, something really interesting that dates back about, I think, 18 months before all these incredible chat GPT unfolds and hits the market is that almost a cousin, if you will, of the ChatGPT OpenAI family unveils, Claude, through Anthropic. And by the way, at the same time, Bard, Google, and many others comment, right? But one of the things I like to call out on the Anthropic Claude application of deployment is that you start seeing the early days of OpenAI in this direction that they have, a pivot point in their organizational structure which we're probably going to talk about it towards the end of the year. We, we will touch about that, yes. Seeds a second company, and we have a variation of that work. So in other words, I have milk, I made an amazing cheese, and I also made a milkshake. Literally, that company revolutionizing with two variations to that initial company and the benefit that it has, and making Google accelerate something that they were not ready. Because if you remember that bar deployment on March, did not go quite well, right? Isn't this when uh, the demo just flopped? Yes, it was the first time when a technology demo like that introduced and the company lost millions and billions of dollars in uh, value and cap. So yeah, it, it wasn't ready. What's interesting about what you're mentioning is that March was an acceleration of foundational technology being released upon foundational technology being released. Everybody's running to the market to introduce their technology, their bots, so to speak, their new way of communicating. Anthropic introduced Claude, Google introduced Bard, of course, OpenAI introduced GPT-4. What was interesting in March as well is that 
from the educational perspective. Khan Academy introduced Khan Miga, which is their learning AI bot based on similar technology as GPT-4, even GPT-3.5. Of course, there's other models in other areas that were introduced, things like image generation tools or even generation with stable diffusion or diffusion models, and even mid-journey introducing a lot of their accelerated uh, components during that time. Now, fast forward, and 23 has been you know, a, an acceleration to not just understanding this technology, but now it's like, how do you get good at it, right? And 2023, I would say, saw the rise of the number one job out there in terms of engineering or working with these models. But... Look, the interesting thing is this race of AI, right? It's making Google and many other companies accelerate in applications. But now a new construct of work in AI emerges, right? And what I love is that it first created new work, then AI taking jobs, right? Prompt engineering. How many variations of how do I engage and interact with the LLM in chat GPT or multiple other uh, variations of it? So, yeah, prompt engineering allows us to understand, in my opinion, that not only is it a really interesting career, but search as we know it, it gets redefined, right? I am used to a construct of a search that whether I like it or not, it's being shaped by Google's capabilities with a prompt, Right. But now prompt engineering tells me that there is something way ahead of that, that basically as good as my prompt is, my query results or generative AI output really goes from one level of win to a thousand. The scalability in the output, it's unbelievable. The linear output of, I don't know, Google query is that if you make your Google query really, really, really good, you basically get the same number of outputs, but maybe the rank of the search moves a little bit, but it's always there. Yeah, very predictable. Yeah, the elasticity of the effort. I'm going to put all this effort so I get a, a better Google query. No, really optimizes. put five seconds because you're going to get the same output if you put 50 minutes. But now what we start seeing in prompt engineering that if you invest the time, the output, it's mind blowing. And that's really why it became a hot career. And many people started pursuing it. And educationally, we start seeing how I have to pursue that. I need to know how do I prompt engineer in data science, data engineering, as a strategist, as an educator. My gosh, prompt engineering became my tutor in classes. And I literally introduced a JC tutor for analytics that is all about how do you prompt engineer the right questions or the right prompts, right? To get the answer for the assignments and projects. We had some of our largest webinars when I was giving webinars around understanding ChatGPT and prompt engineering. These were amazing webinars where a lot of folks had that hunger for this knowledge. It was really new. We even put together prompt engineering courses that let you go even further than that. And there's a way that you can converse with this large language models that you're able to get really good output. And people were just not getting that at the time. And and of course, 2023 has seen the rise of the prompt engineering area and the prompt engineering courses. So those are foundational now to learning Excel or working with spreadsheets. That is foundational to what you need to do in your day-to-day business and, and to work and bring it in and work every single day. So you need to learn prompt engineering. Yes, these tools are going to get better. So you don't need to understand the intricacies just like Google. If you're an expert Google searcher, for example, with all of the special 
specialties that you mentioned, now prompt engineering has become that hot component or that hot skill that everybody needs. Now, switching back from prompt engineering, we're going to go back to technology releases and, and the different moments. But one of the moments that you mentioned was super important was what you're calling the deep fake Drake moment. Tell me more about that. <laughs> so April, towards the end of April, comes along. And this song sang by Drake in Drake style hits mainstream and it goes viral. As you hear this song, you realize, oh my gosh, Drake just killed it one more time. Not knowing that it was not Drake and that the actual lyrics are also not done by Drake. The world of AI basically has a win, a celebration, because the algo is able to do generative AI and impersonate the creative output of a Drake in terms of lyrics and in terms of style. But what this does is that it puts a dent in some of these applications that we're going to be covering during the summer 2023, that what does this mean in terms of IP? Because at this point, creatively speaking and technologically speaking, now I can make audio and music in the style of Drake. But did Drake get any scent for that? Absolutely not. More importantly, did he authorize a training of a model in his style? So authors, writers, artists, you, me, anyone who's listening, it's basically being subject to my data. It's exposable for training and an LLM can actually come and say, give me a output of data analytics in JC Bonilla's accent. And it would sound just like this. That is a really interesting data point, right? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. This is the moment where we went from all enthusiasm about the opportunity and what generative AI was able to do for us, now starting to think about it from a perspective of copyright and a lot of the intricacies that we think about it today from a legal perspective, right? It's from bias, legality, copyright, thinking about, well, how does this affect other areas of our lives? It's not just a toy anymore. It's actually producing synthetic output that is as good, if not better, than someone who can be considered an expert in that particular field. And applications that we see not only apply to basically legal constructs and copyright law that basically is non-existent. So that was not solved in 2023. We're basically hoping to see what the legal system produces so that copyright and some type of royalty aspect emerges from this. So the second derivative, or maybe third derivative, is the summer strikes, where we start seeing Hollywood producers, writers, and even actors later in the summer, jumping in the wagon of, I'm going to collectively ask for a better contract. And one of the things I'm protecting against, or basically organizing against, is that AI cannot take my job, specifically as it relates to these deep Drake type of applications, that AI can come and do what I do. So it's a really interesting episode of we did not intend the acceleration of organizing and how front and center collective bargaining across actors and writers had generative AI as one of the articulations in those. And in many cases, they won. Actually, yeah. in all the cases, both writers and actors won. Absolutely. I think that was a, a key pivotal moment and that summer was really important because it amplified how we're thinking about 
we're not ready yet for synthetic creativity, at least not in the mass media or what we're seeing today. Only synthetic drugs. That's the only thing we're ready about. (laughs) Only synthetic (laughs) drugs. That's right. A couple of days ago, uh, Channel One, I think there was a news segment produced just with pure AI. The host was AI generated. The audio was AI generated. The whole thing was put together through AI. So we saw the news, the first news channel using AI now, not only to mimic something, but actually to produce some new content on it. So going back to that summer, everything has accelerated and Till that day, we're only seeing models and we're only seeing technology that were behind closed doors. We were looking at AI, OpenAI, we're looking at Google, we're looking at Microsoft, Anthropic, all of these companies. Now, July, we see the first commercially available large language model that could compete with GPT 3.5 or better called Llama 2 by Meta. One of the people behind this was someone who is a professor and who we've known for over a decade plus, Jan LeCun, who is a professor of matters and a professor at NYU, where you teach as well and where we got introduced together. So he's a huge proponent of open source and large language models and AI and being open source because of the ability for more people to contribute to it and the larger ecosystem, it would introduce better, safer models if they're open to everybody. It introduced the first models, which you can use in your products, which are really good and they were free. These Llama 2, I believe it costs about $100 million to train in terms of the compute that it needed to train that model. And it was now public. So you're actually... Getting a technology that costs $100 million just to train, not thinking about the IP and all of those intellectual property and the hours of research that's gone through behind it, you're able to now bring it into an an open source and use it. So, all right, Llama opens up, which is Facebook application to LLMs using open source. And then ChatGPT continues to just basically crash and ChatGPT code interpreter launches while almost simultaneously you start seeing DALI 3, another OpenAI product. And then you get the signature of Anivia being a company that becomes a trillion dollar company. So you start seeing all this deployment, but the ecosystem, what it costs, computational power, right? The $100 million given to the public and Anivia taking the crown of, we just made a ton of money with that. Yeah. Yeah. Think about NVIDIA as the Levi Strauss of the gold rush, right? They're selling the raw material that you need to actually build these things, right? So they're selling the infrastructure. They're an infrastructure company and they're selling this highly Mm. sophisticated chips. And NVIDIA became now (laughs) so fast a trillion dollar company, which is incredible, right? Like how fast it grew. I remember buying NVIDIA graphics cards. This was a decade plus when I used to build my own, or two decades when I used to build my own PCs and NVIDIA, you just buy it because of gaming, right? So the same technology platforms they were able to now use for training these large language models because of the same architecture that's needed uh, to run very highly parallelized algorithms to do that. Kicking out here a little bit, but really exciting to see a company like that become a trillion dollar company. 
Hey, Artis, what does an LLM think about this naming convention? Like, think about the construct of the names that we just mentioned, Nivea, ChatGPT, Llama, Bard, Anthropic. Seriously, who picks these names, right? But anyway, here we are benefiting from them. What an incredible summer leaning into a Q4 that was just basically astronomically meaningful in terms of milestones for the year. Wow, so many things to review. So for Q4, what are some of the highlights that you think we should be talking about? How did we end the year in Q4 of this year? Well, I mean, Q4 is it's kind of a long period in there. So we started in September, OpenAI introduces and makes publicly available what's called Code Interpreter. You mentioned that before. And if some people think that could technically be called GPT 4.5, it opens up the ability for these large language models to actually use tools now to accomplish things that they weren't able to do before. So you and I, we use R or Python or SQL to work with data and to work with structured content and things like that. Code Interpreter was renamed later to Data Analysis Tools, and it essentially can write code to work with Excel files, CSV files, all of these files, and do analysis on them, right? So now you can actually ask and, and query your data. The whole world and the possibility of what this means changes because now someone who is working with data, they don't need to know Excel anymore. They don't need to know Python anymore. They can just ask ChatGPT what they want. You'll give them a model, a regression model, whatever it is. So it changes things drastically. From a creator perspective, if we remember in 2022, OpenAI made their big splash with Dolly 2, where it was generating image. It was not very good, and you can tell. Dolly 3 was really good and opened up yet another image generation. So it's part of now ChatGPT. So both of these were introduced as part of ChatGPT. So not only could it write really great copy, but now it can analyze data, it can write code for you, it can produce images in any style that you want, logos, creative, layouts, all of those things. Incredible. If you're an analyst, if you're not using ChatGPT's code interpreter or that plugin, you're tremendously missing out. No joke, my entire data analytics course is now available via code interpreter, right? And if you actually are a manager or a leader or an executive and you need to generate reports, load the file and ask the questions and they will be given to you and you can even visualize them. It's incredible. So what a milestone for the year. By the way, DALI 3, it's now my preferred way to generate visuals for a, a presentation. Obscure, futuristic, love the ability to come and say, tell me how can I demonstrate the intersection between data, technology, and I don't know, marketing performance, but give it to me in a Picasso style and you end up with something that actually is a great story to be told. Exactly. Just as a little Easter egg, our art for this podcast was generated by none other than Dolly 3. Dolly 3. What was the prompt? I have to go back and take a look at it. Good looking guy from North Carolina talking about nerdy stuff. Boom. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He produced something very abstract. He didn't know how to put those two together. So... While we're thinking about the creative process, legislation and ethics are now becoming very important. 
you mentioned data and using data. People are very scared mm -hmm. from a corporate perspective. A lot of corporations are putting bans and blocking ChatGPT for use because they don't want folks to actually put their data on ChatGPT. Everybody's afraid around what that means for copyright, what that means for proprietary data being exposed. OpenAI has moved forward and they have introduced different versions of ChatGPT where they're not using your data or training on it. However, the fear is still there. We fast forward and now we see the first time that legislation or an executive order has put in place. And this was the executive order on AI towards the end of uh, October by the White House. And when you look at that, it's the first new standards on AI safety and security of, of privacy protection and thinking about consideration on AI bias and civil rights. One of the things that becomes really clear is the, the ability to produce these large language models can be considered now national security. And you have to disclose privacy and you have to disclose testing guidelines if you're building models that are a certain size or certain parameters or certain types of computational level and higher. So now we have some guidelines from the government in order to see and regulate and put some guardrails around the fast pace of, of moving this technology. What that has also allowed them to do is, in the name of national security, try to guardrail this advanced technology from being leaked and being used in terms of both hardware and large language models being exported to countries like China. So now we're seeing the lockdown, so to speak, and, and the ability for us to maintain a competitive lead. So it, it, that executive order introduces all of these different components and makes it available now to have some regulation. Now, when you might say, well, why isn't this going into law? I mean, this is the first step that you need in that executive order to start the conversation. And the executive order, the power that it has is basically voting or putting money where the mouth is. So it's saying if this technology doesn't follow this particular rules, it cannot be adopted by government or by anybody who works with government. So companies who are working with the government and large government contracts, now you have to build technology and large language models and AI that conforms to those standards. So really important. Artists, on the legal front, the part that I liked everyone to live with, right, is Think about the precursors for a, an executive order at this magnitude to come and emerge. And really, it's the circular conversation we're having about 2023 being an incredible year, running and reminding all of you about these milestones. And that's a culmination of it. That expansion and its growth merits a policy probably not the first one, probably not perfect, but one of many that is going to allow us to grow faster, safer with the competitive advantage that we have introduced and for it to remain here. Because let's be clear, these AI milestones are made in the USA and we should be very proud of how we continue to shape that. That doesn't mean that the research and the innovations in China, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, India, and the many places in Europe where a lot of research has taken place, we're able to commercialize it. But that aspect of technology, us educators, 
who have a responsibility to bring these students from all over the world, the, every state and country, and educate them. That's what we do so best. So a little bit of a plug for higher education and what we do here. <laughs> yeah, we love that. I think this technology was in the labs and built in our labs in Stanford and NYU and Yale and Harvard, and of course, all of these different institutions and Dukes. And so all of the research institutions, they have a lot to play with in this area. When we look at what else happened in Q4 towards the end of the year, and, and those are a little bit more vivid, Oof. one event that happened over 72 hours, a CEO was fired, a whole company- Not, not by a Mark. CEO, artist, the CEO. The CEO. Times CEO of the year. Times, <laughs> times named Sam Altman the CEO of the year, and- he was fired from his own company. And as we know, or maybe as you don't know, the drama played out on Twitter over 72 hours. Now, this is probably one of the most really, really high drama event that happened. He was fired. Everybody was going to quit. Microsoft hired everybody. He was brought back. The board was fired. There's a new board. Microsoft still a good partner. So all these things happen within 72 hours, which is incredible. And the news media and the technology news media was moving so fast. Now we are able to see it play out in the mainstream media because of the impact mm -hmm. this company and AI has on our day-to-day -day lives, right? And the potential of that impact. It is the only area right now where valuations and company valuations and more and more money is being put into this from private investments. Even when we know that these investments have gone down in a lot of other areas, AI is one of the hot investment areas and OpenAI is one of the top companies in that space. Yeah. Sam Altman being the time CEO of the year. What an incredible kind of story. We keep telling each other, there's going to be a Netflix, HBO, whatever. <laughs> oh, 100%. To, to the point of forthcoming movie and documentary, literally for everyone who witnessed this, or if you didn't, prompt, give me a telenovela where the hero becomes the villain and comes back to the hero and make it with the tone of AI and the most nerdy characters there is. Oh, and make it last under three days. That's what happened. And it was incredible, accelerating, to be honest. I enjoyed every minute of it because of the drama. And here we are, in a way where we started. But artists, towards the end of this year, we thought we were done. And the guys who showed up at the beginning of the year with Bard, they just basically said, we're here. And we're here to say 2024 is going to be gigantic. What happened with Google towards the end of the year? So they released their much-anticipated Gemini model, and they introduced Gemini in multiple different sizes. And one of the big uh, highlights was that their most powerful version of it was able to be GPT-4. There is a lot of questions about that right now, but Google was perhaps rushed a little bit with Gemini as we're seeing right now that some of the demos perhaps were put together via video where we're not certainly real. Mm -hmm. However, the technology itself, just until this week, we're able to get our hands on it. Bard 
was updated to use the Gemini versions, the most powerful version of Gemini still to come out in January. And perhaps we can talk about that during our next episode. So I don't know about you, JC, but I must have attended a dozen or so conferences in 2023. I was able to speak in the majority of them around AI, prompt engineering, what it means, how to do it. Every single conference, AI dominated the conversation because all of these conferences have their agendas put together in the sessions six months to a year in advance, you did not see a lot of AI in the agendas. However, every session that you went to, people were talking about it and they were talking about it and including it. So if anything, 2023 was certainly, I would say, the summer of AI. I don't know about 2024, but 2023, from where I stand, was so fast-paced it was a neck break speed to understanding, synthesizing, how do you incorporate this in your day-to-day work? How do you incorporate it in your life? How do you get your organizations, our companies, and our institutions to adopt this? How do we train our staff and professors to not fail students because they think that they cheated with AI? <laughs> now, this is amazing when you think about it from a look back, in one year, we have had an incredible transformation and shift in both perception of what AI can do for us and how we're able to incorporate it. And of course, being fueled by, by this large innovation that's happening in foundational technologies. No doubt, 2023, it's the year of AI, but the narrative was reactionary. We're just keeping up with the Jonas's or the Bart's or the Nivea's of the GPT-35411 and so on and so forth. But as we unpack and prepared for 2024, it's going to be a more proactive conversation. And by no means I'm saying we've seen it. We're about to see what it could do. But the expectation that we start January 1st all into AI, as opposed to just being caught by a surprise, makes a gigantic difference in me. So, of course, now every conference is being planned against AI for an agenda, but everything else. So, 2024, the year of AI applications, whereas 2023, the year where AI showed up and said, I'm here, you better get on the board. Exactly. I, I wouldn't go to 2024 yet. Our next episode, we're going to go over what our predictions are and where this technology is going and what it means for us in day-to-day -day life. JC, this has been incredible. I'll see you on our next episode. Thank you. You got it, Artis. Have a good one.